0: Welcome to the American Shoulder Elbow Surgeons podcast. I'm your host, Peter Chalmers, a Shoulder and Neville Surgeon at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Rachel Frank, a sports and shoulder surgeon at the University of Colorado in Denver. Rachel, how are you?
1: I'm doing outstanding. Pete, how are you tonight?
0: Oh, I'm doing great. Before we get started, I should mention the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the American Shoulder and Neville Surgeons Society, the University of Utah, the University of Colorado, or the institutions of our guests. Okay, today we have an episode for you on another hot topic, not only for sports and surgeons, sports and, edibles, and surgeons, but also for all orthopedic surgeons, and quite frankly, for everyone. And that's because the web has come to rule the way that we get information. Today's topic is on practice websites and everything there is to know about creating them, updating them, using them. And we've invited two orthopedic surgeons that are experts in this area to provide their answer, in, insights. Both of them are considered leaders and experts and they've really done beautiful jobs on their own website. So, we're hoping to get their, their opinions on how they made them, how they're updating them, how they're using this in their practice, why it's valuable. So, first, we have um, Dr. Gabriella O'Day. She's the Associate Fellowship Director for Sports Medicine Fellowship and a Sports and Shoulder surgeon at the Hospital Special Surgery in New York. Dr. O'Day, welcome to the podcast.
2: Uh, thanks for having me, Peter and Rachel.
0: And then next, uh, we have Dr. Brian Cole, who's the Managing Partner of Midwest Orthopedics at Rush and the Associate Chairman of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at Russian University Medical Center. Dr. Cole, welcome to the podcast.
3: Thank you. Great topic and uh, excited to participate.
0: Well, we're really excited to have both of you guys on. Let's start with the obvious question. So why do each of you have a website? Let's start with you, Dr. Cole.
3: A website, I think, from its very basic form is uh, an extension of your practice. I think it's become, I remember way back when, we used to have these bins full of, and, and maybe Peter, when you were there, or Rachel, when you were there, we had this set, uh, we'd have these bins full of uh, uh, photocopied instruction sheets and so forth. And it was just onerous. You'd lose the original and the the folder would sit empty and so forth. So from my perspective, the first reason to have a website was really to have a repository for patient-centered information. But it's obviously grown much more than that. Uh, but I would say that probably the most important reason, two most important reasons to have a website would be one to sort of center your practice, have available information that can help uh, educate your patients, keep them plugged in, perioperative information, where to go on the day of surgery, how to prepare, where do you get your brace, how do you get your sling, all of that stuff. Uh, but also <clears throat> when you ask your patients, uh, you know, how, they, how they've how they come to find you and so forth, There's it's rare that today a patient who you see in the office will not have gone to your website to learn more about you. They'll obviously go online, see what your reviews are, uh, see what your sort of um, your, uh, uh, your, your footprint is on the, on the internet in terms of um, uh, evaluations on health grades and Google and so forth, but they're also going to go to your website to learn more about you. So it, it really is an extension of your practice, and virtually every patient will go there at some point to either uh, get important information or to learn something about you and your practice.
0: What about you, Dr. O'Day? What was the main reason you had a website to begin with, and how are you using it most effectively now?
2: Yeah, I would actually say that, you know, um, I was a little bit of a slow adopter at first. You know, it was one of those things where I was coming out of fellowship and I was like, oh, I probably should make a website. Um, and it was a couple of years before I actually kind of committed to it. I wish I had done it sooner because for me, it was a great way to, you know, <clears throat> really sort of um, set the narrative as to who you are as a surgeon. Because when you're coming out of fellowship, you really have no presence Um people you know you're you have very few reviews because you've just started seeing patients um and and most of what's out there is very boilerplate or maybe it's related to your research or your experience in residency and fellowship um so so it gives an opportunity for you to provide patients information about who you are where your areas of expertise are um and, and what they can kind of expect when they're coming to see you in your practice Um, And I I agree with Dr. Cole in that it it allows an opportunity for you to provide information to your patients that, you know, you vetted, um, that's a little bit more of a controlled setting. Um, And as we know, with so much disinformation out there, it's very easy for patients to go down, you know, rabbit hole with Google and other sites and, and get the wrong information about the procedures that you're doing, wrong information about their their conditions um and, and so it allows for you to say hey you know di- um here's an opportunity to digest what we talked about in the office but um i'm going to direct you to my website so you can kind of find out a little bit more information about what we talked about um and and i know that this information is vetted and appropriate and at your um at your reading levels so that you'll understand what we kind of talked about a little bit more uh, so so it does kind of streamline the conversations you have with patients in the office but also provides them a level of confidence because they feel like they know who you are and what your expertise is.
1: Now, both of you mentioned, and, and I think it's really interesting because both of you mentioned themes about having a website that that I really value with my own website in that number one, for first and foremost, it's about patient education and other provider education such as physical therapists, occupational therapists, et cetera. But I think a lot of people, especially practicing surgeons who may not have a personal website, view personal websites, such as the ones that both of you have is the one that I have as quite frankly, marketing tools. And so I didn't hear either of you really mention that. And I just am curious as to, is this the reality? Are they just used for education or are they really for marketing or is it some sort of hybrid? Dr. Cole, let's start with you.
3: I think that, um, it's, it's arguably it's for sustainability. So uh, if you don't have one or you have a poor one, I think that sort of has the reverse impact as if you 're you know it's sort of negative marketing. So I think you at least have to have a threshold of a quality website that when patients go there there's it meets at least a basic expectation but from a marketing perspective it's a, also a very important aspect so and it 's a challenge if you 're a private practitioner versus uh, a small private group versus a group that's within a hospital system or a hospital system in 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 totality. I think the strategies will really differ. Um, One of the things of, you know, we're a private academic group that uh, we've we've struggled with maintaining brand and the mark and so forth with our individual websites. And from a marketing perspective, there's search engine optimization that's really important. And I would argue, the first thing is that I would say, I would not try to do your website by yourself. I know a lot of younger people come out, they have some level of sophistication on how to use WordPress, which is very macroed out. Uh, and they can sort of get it going, but there's so the algorithms are incredibly complicated. And I think the, comp- the competition is fairly stiff in terms of uh, how a lot of website companies have become relatively commoditized that I would really urge anyone who's interested or just getting started to make sure that they go to a competent firm. <clears throat> and when you do that, they can help you with the SEO function. They can help you, obviously, with design, uh, searchability. Uh, and also uh, with updates, which is a really important part of a website, which can become extremely costly if you don't get into the right agreement. But don't do it on your own. Uh, from a marketing perspective, it is incredibly important. And I think it just depends upon how patients search. And and there is some organic search function that patients will utilize. And if you know, you're know you in that realm where you're sort of, I guess, for lack of a better term, marketing your practice as a whole or marketing yourself, and it's it even gets to the point where you're marketing yourself against others in your group, and then certainly against your colleagues. So um, I, I think there's all of that, and depends upon, depending upon your level of sophistication, it can actually give you a leg up in terms of, um, you know, where you appear because there's you know, a tremendous amount of data that supports, look, someone's entering knee pain or shoulder instability, and you come up in the top page, or if they say shoulder instability management in New York, uh, you show up on the first page of 18 pages, which is what happens in New York, Uh, there's definitely some selective benefit and there is a real strategy and an algorithm that goes into that from an SEO function point of view. So I would say that marketing is a big part of it, but I would argue that there's a baseline that you have to have just because your patients expect it and you're marketing yourself just to sort of keep a a baseline of information and presence in the eyes of your patient, in the eyes of your referring physicians and and your therapists, and so forth.
1: Dr. O'Day, let me ask you, you know, in terms of keeping the website up to date, who does this? Do you do it? Do you have a service do this? And the reason I ask is because when when, say, for example, we're finishing fellowship, we've got no time. We're trying to move potentially to a new location, get a job or start our job, et cetera. And then many new surgeons have a lot of time, but they don't really use that time building their website per se. And then they get busy and then there's no time again. So who do you do this on your own or who does it for you? And how onerous do you find it to keep it up?
2: Um, yeah, I do. You know, I I agree with Dr. Cole. This it's 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 too difficult to do it on your own. I I think you can be very savvy, but much of the information needs to kind of perpetually be updated. Um, and also, even from a security standpoint, particularly if you're going to have a contact link um, that allows for patients to reach out to you or email you, um, you want to have somebody that's either you know navigating that space or lets you know. Hey, there's a message on your website it's, it's just a little too difficult to manage that on your own um, i use a third party um, I, I think it's probably the same one that you use rachel actually it's your practice online they um, have a, a pretty large presence with um, orthopedic surgeons um, and they just for the most part you can pick any service that if they provide the opportunity to help kind of build the framework of your website and then you can personalize it for the most part as much as you want um, whether if it's just kind of color schemes or or pictures, so so I, I took the time to kind of have some personalization as to how I wanted the website to look. Um, but in general, they'll have an opportunity for you to provide a bio about yourself, um, uh, links to where when you're in the media, you, you'll get an update saying is there anything that you want to post? We want us to post on your behalf, um, and also in general, you know, patient information pages is where you. you I, I found i spent the most time uh, really providing you know my therapy protocols you know what to expect um, and practice it and really kind of spending that amount of time on that aspect of the website which that in and of itself can take a fair amount of time even early in practice and, and so you don't want to then be on the back end you know having to now actually build it on the, um, from the ground up you just it just ends up being a, too much time to maintain um as well
3: yeah, one thing I would add, <clears throat> excuse me, to the marketing aspect is that if you're in a group, I think it's important to understand that there is a there is some value for the brand of your group. And the, what, if you're in a large group or intermediate-sized group and you can build the brand, the brand in some ways becomes agnostic to the physicians within the brand. And there's a tremendous amount of value to that because not only do you draw patients in because of others that you've treated, their families, their friends, and so forth, and maybe your area of expertise. But there's many times where people. I always ask every patient where they where, who referred them, and there still are a, a number of patients on a weekly basis say, "Look, I heard that Midwestern Orthopedics at Rush is a, yeah, like Rush. I heard Midas Orthopedics at Rush is a great is a great uh, 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 group. Uh, so I started there, and then I went through the different individuals to see who was best for me. So I, I do think that you have to have a strategy here, and and going rogue within a group doesn't necessarily help the group and it might be hurting yourself and there's a lot of ways to, to to manage that in terms of putting the skin if you will on your site and having some common features from an organizational structure that from a, from a, a browsing point of view and how it's structured can make a, a can can affect you positively and also benefit the group so we we're making a full uh, effort to sort of not homogenize and lose individual identity but At least to make sure that we represent the brand, the color schemes and so forth, but allow people to sort of emphasize their uniqueness and their expertise at the same time. And I think that goes a long way to maintaining a brand that's bigger than yourself if you function in that environment. If you're a solo practitioner, it doesn't matter. But if you function with a group, I think you actually have to think about those things um, as as you move forward developing your strategy.
1: Let me ask both of you guys, and this is again a, a topic that a lot of fellows ask me about when they talk about websites and starting practice. Uh, no one wants to spend money when they have debt, when they have med school loans to pay off. They're moving to a new city, they buy a house, they have kids, whatever it might be. Um, they have expenses. And a website is an expense. Um you certainly can can use kind of lower level sites and potentially do it for free, but then you're doing all the work on your own as as you guys described. So, who pays for your website? Do you pay out of pocket? Do you pay out of a fund? Does your practice or hospital system pay? Um, Dr. Cole, let's start with you on that one.
3: I would, and the first thing, if you're just getting out into practice, I would say that the first thing you could spend on your you should spend your signing bonus on is developing a website. I, I think from a efficiency uh, point of view and the scale that you get, uh, it's very difficult to duplicate if the practice doesn't provide you with. An infrastructure for your site, and I think you even want to maybe think about negotiating that with your contract, uh, then you got to do it because it helps run your practice is the first point that uh, both Gabrielle and I made about the importance of having a website in terms of just servicing the needs of your practice. For example, we've gotten into, I've gotten a lot into uh, patient educational videos and have added 22 videos on common topics that I treat that I literally go to my website, pull up the video, introduce myself to the patient say, hey, I say, look, I, you know, I'm here, I, I'm 65 years old, I have shoulder pain, I was told I had rotary rotator cuff tear. I said, look, you know, I'm going to put this on the speakers, pulls up a five minute video and I walk and I go to another room and then I circle back and I kind of joke around and say, what did you learn? And we even got to the point now where we actually push through uh, our outcomes module through patient IQ, we actually push the video to the patient where we know what their diagnosis is before they even arrive. So, spending the money up front as a repository that represents you is money well spent as part of business development. As far as, uh, you know, in, in the initial cost, if you are bearing the cost yourself, you know, I we have a firm that we work with as a branding firm. They came back to us. It was like twenty-eight dollars to $30,000 per site. And that was just not going to, that wasn't tenable. I do think you can do this between, you know, four and $7,000 starting out with most, you know, mid-sized companies that, uh, have, you know, a, a large number of individuals who do programming and so forth and have a low cost HR staff. Uh, and then upkeep is around $2,500 to, 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 to 5000 a year. Those are not unrealistic numbers and those are not on the line, but you can find them up into the $50,000 range where they charge you for every update that you do and so forth. And I would argue when you're first starting out or maybe ever stay away from those kinds of contracts. But as far as who pays for it, I think uh, in, my, in our instance, it's part, it's part of my individual direct overhead. So I pay for it. The group has a website. And if I was to stay within the framework, and there's no one in my practice of 50 providers where they use the group exclusively for their website. Everyone has their own site. And each of us are paying a certain amount. And I would argue that it's probably in the neighborhood of you know around 5,000 initiation fee, uh, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less, uh, depending on how elaborate people are. And then maintenance is about 2,500 a year to 3,000 a year. Not a lot of money for what the value it brings, you know, given what we do.
1: Dr. O'Day, how about you? Do you pay for this out of pocket? Was this something you negotiated into your job contract, or how do you do it?
2: Um, yeah, I pay for it out of pocket, and those numbers are, 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 I would say, are a fair assessment as to what you'd expect, because um, there's going to be an upfront, there's going to be an upfront fee typically to have somebody build it out, and then there's going to be a maintenance fee every year, and 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 some of that includes exactly how much you want a, a pretty boilerplate website where it's just going to be you know information about um, who you are and the patients you see. You also can have somebody you not necessarily control, but contribute to your social media. Um, And that can be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and they can kind of post um, post on your on your behalf as well. Um, And so that adds a little bit of money because you're adding that element of um, maintaining a social media presence with certain companies. Um, In general, though, I mean, the goal is is for you to have something that's kind of running smoothly and that if it's if it's down you're not the one having to scramble um uh, to reassess it so so the value is definitely there i agree you know most hospitals or practices are going to have a general uh website and and same thing i have that Um, but having a, a personal website is also important because that's where you can kind of direct people to specific information about those conditions that you need to see the other thing that's big for me is um, when I am uh, writing a, a PT script for a patient, whether it's post-operatively or a non-operative condition, um, that PT script specifically says, go to my website and go to this PT protocol. Um, and, and so it allows the therapist to always have access to the protocols um, that I need. And, and if anything, it also drives more business to the website as well, because therapists are going there, they're also seeing what I offer. And, and if you're in a community where it's it's kind of direct referral, uh, you're also kind of building, you're, you're having the therapist in your area kind of know who you are and what you specialize in as well. Um, so, so it works both ways from that standpoint. Um, and that's why I'd say, I really wish I had done it sooner. It's definitely made a huge difference, particularly, um, if you are kind of starting because, because patients will come to me and say, oh, well, you know, I, I made an appointment with you and then I saw your website, you know, and, and they, they have, you know, a better understanding of kind of what my practices and, um, uh, my expertise is, you know, upfront. So I do think it believes that it provides a level of trust with the patient as well. And it's, it's definitely worth the cost. Um, one last thing I would make, I would a note on that front is uh, controlling your SEOs is something I didn't realize was very important. So that's how the search engines uh, find you. And, um, the one downside of waiting a little bit before making your own website is, um, If you're in a hospital system that wants to have full control of your SEOs, it can be difficult, if not impossible, for them to relinquish that to the people who are running your website. Um, So it is important for you to have control of that, you know, you know, independently. And then if you happen to have a hospital website as well, they can tag on, but they don't necessarily have to now ask um, for control because i I ran into that situation where um my previous hospital they controlled my seos and so they would not allow my they would not allow my website to have access to my seos because they wanted to be top on the google list when i
3: was searched yeah but it's a it's it it, that really emphasizes the, the challenge that you have when you function in a group where you you actually compete with the seo and then you compete against your partners so it's not it's a difficult it's a delicate uh, dance, if you will, when you're in a group setting, to manage that. And you might argue that you're just a physician at a hospital. They're trying to do the exact same thing, where they come exactly. out on top, which could, yeah. you know, put you in a different spot. I, I don't know the right answer, but you bring up a good point that you, you there are a lot of challenges that are hidden, and those are particularly sophisticated, especially at the at the highest level. Whether it's those running the group, marketing, branding firms, or hospitals, um, those are things that you and I generally don't know much about until it's brought to our attention. I wanted to chat with you guys about this
0: specific aspect, because I think you both of you mentioned you know, that the website is informational, but it's also a place where patients can find you if they have a problem that you may be able to help them with. And the way they find you is through a search engine. And SEO, for the listeners who don't know, stands for search engine optimization. And I think it's a lot about the way the website is designed, and it's designed around the way the search engines function to search the web, to sort information, to show to people who make searches. So. Maybe Dr. Cole, you could explain, it's because it sounds like you know a lot about it, the ways in which you can optimize your website for search engine optimization or the ways in which you're changing your website or you believe your website is being changed to try and drive you up that algorithm.
3: It's um <clears throat> yeah, so it's a it's a changing algorithm and people have a hard time staying ahead of it. And you know, I while I know a bit about it, I do have to rely on others to stay abreast of it. And it it even goes down to the level of what, you know, uh, what platform you're using uh, to, to make it happen in terms of what the SEO capabilities are. So WordPress may have different capabilities than some of these others that are a little more uh, customizable. Um, and he, in fact, you if you use WordPress versus some other uh, uh, web platform, you may actually uh, have a different, you can do the same SEO uh, I, I optimization, uh, but get a different result. And one of the things that's been emphasized to me is having unique content. And one of the challenges of working with some of these uh, uh, groups that just do orthopedic websites is that, in fact, some of the content is not opt- is not optimized for you, but it's generalized content. So having unique content doesn't penalize you. You do get penalized if you're sort of cutting and pasting other people's content. Even Google penalized. In fact, you 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 can you can almost get censored if you will if you use a lot of. Uh, Content that is take that's that's not original content. Um, it's not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily because you're copying it uh, or plagiarizing it. Just that's the way the algorithms work, and you actually get penalized and pushed down pushed down the uh, the search engine uh, optimization uh, uh, ladder. So I would say that the thing that's been emphasized is having unique content uh, that's searchable that directs gets people to you for your area of expertise. Um, I, that's a big part of it you know there's if you if I think all of us should be in the business when patients come see you and I'm sure most of you guys do this is look you know thank you for coming I'm glad, glad to take care of you you know how did you get referred to us and it's absolutely fascinating what you hear and it I don't think it's as common now to simply say I found this one you know like when you deal with cancer let's say you deal with a rare cancer and you find someone who knows how to you know manage you know metastatic uh, you know, metastatic ovarian cancer, and there's not 7,000 people who do it. There's maybe, you know, 10 and maybe five of those sites are in clinical trials and so forth. In our world, a lot of what we do has become somewhat commoditized. So what I have found is that, again, that's why the brand is so important. If you're in a hospital system, and I'll just use ours for an example, you know, we're affiliated, but, you know, you know, again, by affiliation. So there's Rush Hospital System where people choose Rush. Then there's Midwest Orthopedics at Rush where people will choose Midwest Orthopedics. And then they choose you and um, ba- maybe based upon you know, your SEO or, or other. So the quality of the material is really important, but optimizing SEO is not something that you or I want to manage on a regular basis, but what comes up a lot is uh, the fact that it has to be original content and not something that's been posted all over the internet that you know, otherwise there's just no way to shake you out to come out on top. Now so I think
0: that's I I think original content I've heard the same thing that's critical. The other thing I've heard is that websites that are being altered or updated frequently also get pushed up the algorithm that the the Google's bots are constantly searching the web and websites that are still get pushed down the algorithm. Now we you've mentioned previously that you're, you're you're working a lot on updating it. So Dr. Dr. Cole, tell us who is doing the updating? Are you like are you in there tinkering every week? Do you have someone on your team that's like posting things for you? How do you do that?
3: If I had WordPress, I would probably do my own updating because it's relatively easy, but well, I would have someone do it locally. Uh, and we do our own updating for our for our our practice uh, for the most part, but not for everything. but I the company manages my site, uh, does the updates, and I have you know basically I have someone who helps me in the office say, look, these are three new things. I mean, I probably had three or four things a day or change something on the website literally every single day. So I go back to the the people who manage the website for 98% of it. That's how I do it. At one point, I had an arrangement where I was paying for every single update, and it was insane. It, was, it, was, it basically forced me to not want to do it because... I was placing a you know a dollar on every movement I made, which you know was a problem. So any you know I would say that the best arrangement, if you can find it, is a situation where it's essentially unlimited updates, uh, because it gets it gets out of hand uh, every time you want to do something, and it doesn't necessarily take a lot of time for these people to do it each and every day. So I have no desire to do this myself anymore. I'm perfectly fine delegating that to someone else, but I may have someone in between where I'll say, look, here's three, new, here's three PDFs, these are open access, here's a textbook, here's five new rehab protocols, can you modify these, PDF them, and then get them to our web people and, and tell them exactly where to put it? And then I have them go through it periodically because things get screwed up you know, where, where they're located, and I'm always trying to improve the website. It's a, to me, it's kind of a work of art, and it's, I take a lot of pride in this. It's, it's an enormous part of my practice.
0: What about you, Dr. O'Day? Are, are you working on updating it? How is how how are you handling that?
2: Um, you know, I the nice thing about having a service do it is, is if you if you pay for that, you know, um, maintenance, Hey, I, I just send them a, an email and say, hey, I, I want to add this and they will usually add it, you know, even that same day or if I pick up on kind of a random typo somewhere, I can just send a screenshot and say, Hey, I found this here. Can you correct this? Um, but you know, same thing, you can add, add PDFs, you can add information. Um, and, and so I, I don't, I don't change it as much as, as I could, but I do, I probably go to my website at least once a day, if not more. And, and oftentimes that's either, to, you know, download something for a patient or to direct them there um, or just to kind of, you know, get a general idea of what's what's kind of being um, updated on there because they also um, control some of my social media. Um, so they'll still post stuff on my behalf. So sometimes I go on there and check and see what's uh, what's been kind of linked to my uh, website as well. Um, but, but I have somebody else do it.
1: All right. Let me ask a little bit of a provoking question, and Dr. Cole kind of alluded to this a little bit before, um, but I want to get to the meat of having individual websites versus practice websites, because nowadays everyone is on either their private practices website, their hospital systems website, their academic universities website, their school of medicines website. They might be on all of those. In fact, in, in my group, I'm on all of those websites. We're not a private practice, but everything else. And then every hospital that I work at, I have a listing on that website. I have no ability to control that listing. I have no ability to determine what goes on and what doesn't. That's that's one of the reasons I elected to pay for and, and, and use my own website. But... When we first started, uh, that created a little bit of some uh, challenges within the group in terms of one person having this and and others not having this. And and so I, I'm curious. Both of you are in successful academic private practice groups. When you look at your website, does it cause drama with your partners? Does it cause any internal discussions about who should or shouldn't have things? should we uniform everything? Should all of the websites, even if individual have the exact same colors, same branding, same company, same everything? Um, how, how does this work with you and your partners? Dr. O'Day, let's start with you.
2: Um, I would say so you have to have some level of cohesion um, to make it work. And, and so, so I fully know if I Google my name right now, the first website that shows up is the HSS one um and hss same thing they made us build ours out and provide certain information our rehab protocols our publications etc but number two is my website and and part of that is i understand kind of where the seos are probably going um, and they're going to the hss website and then mine second but i was able to have a discussion with them when i started and say can i link my website into my hss website so in my bio and they gave me the okay for that. So in my bio on the HSS website, there's a link that says for more information visit, and then it's my website. So then I know that I can link from the HSS website if they're searching first, then to my website. And so they can be, there can be a little bit more information. And I still have, and I'm still cohesive with what our, our brand, you know, cause HSS is, is specific about what, you know, what the brand will be, um, but also um, that it's it's connected to my personal website. At the same time, you know, in that relationship, uh, HSS looked at my website and also they made sure uh, that you know I was ADA compliant and then my website at least you know met the standards that they wanted um, with the HSS website. Um, I, I don't know if every department is um, is is kind of as, uh, Cohesive about that. Everyone's a little bit different when it comes to that, and can be a touchy subject through your hospital system. Um, but you, you want to kind of stay in front of it as well, um, and you know, be upfront. Say, hey, I have a personal website. It's there. You know, this is this is part of my kind of personal identity um, as a surgeon, um, and and find ways that they can, if anything, synergistically work together. Um, and so far, that's it's worked, you know, well from my standpoint. At the same time, on my personal website, I also link back to my HSS website. And so they kind of link between each other. And I think that helps make it a little bit more cohesive.
1: Dr. Cole, how about you with, with all your partners, not just within sports medicine, but within the entire group at MOR, any, as, you know, nowadays, everyone has their own website. And I think everyone seems to be fine with that. But at the beginning, when certain docs had them and certain docs didn't, Did that create any problems? And if so, how did you mitigate that? And if not, um, how would you advise, you know, new graduating fellows or young surgeons in practice who might be the first in their group to introduce this concept?
3: It it would be surprising to me that anyone would be first anymore. So I would say, you know, the short answer is get a website when you get out, make a website. But it's a much more complicated uh, arena when you're in a large group, as you've intimated. So I'm the managing partner of a large orthopedic group. I also happen to be the director of uh, the head of the marketing committee, which is a committee that sort of makes all the decisions on behalf of the practice, including budgeting and so forth. So uh, there's a lot of hats and you you have to weigh, it, it depends about where you come in in the life cycle of a practice. If you're new, entering into a practice that historically they stayed ahead of it and they said, look, this is the practice, this is our website, and they have guidelines, then you don't have much latitude, uh, however, you know we've always had a practice website at the same time people were creating individual websites, so now we're trying to figure out the best blend to benefit everyone, but as Gabriella said, maintain your individuality and um, that's not easy, and I think that the 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 first so, you know, if you said, well, what's the strategy to rein it in? I, I just would say that I think it's important that you represent the brand. I've said it a couple of times. I think the brand beyond yourself has benefits to every each and every one of you and to yourself uh, for your share, if you will. Um, but doing it at the extent of of uh, of losing your individuality or the ability to tailor things is, is a problem for most because most of us are reasonably entrepreneurial and we're all even a bit competitive. So in our, in our success uh, depends upon, you know, what, what, what comes in the door. So obviously you want to put your best foot forward. So I think there's some ways to thread the middle. You know, you say, well, what do you do if you're the first one in? I would say I'd be surprised there's any many practices anymore with people coming out where you're the first person to get a website, but if you are, then so be it and shame on them. Uh, but when you're in a situation where the practice has a website, the hospital has a website, uh, depending on how closely tied you are, you've got to decide if you want to brand together, which I'd say there are ways to thread the middle, which is you create a skin. Maybe it's a template in terms of how the website's laid out. Maybe it's too hard to do for those are already established. But for the new people coming in, you start to create some mandates that you can have your individuality, but let's organize them the way the practice website is. Make sure that you have the color scheme, the mark, and all those other things in the same places. And you can homogenize it enough that you can represent the brand, but still allow some individuality. So I think it depends on where you come in in the life cycle of practice. It's hard to take things away from existing practitioners. So those who have done well, thrived in a group setting where it's a bit of a democracy to go in and say, well, you can't do this any longer is is next to impossible in most groups without creating a lot of resentment. So you got to find compromise. But I do think if you could choose it, I would choose the brand of a group, a good group that has good brand, uh, keeps some uniformity, keep the skin looking the same where you can, but allow that individuality and build out with your own content and patients can then decide the difference. I don't think if you can avoid being in the business of someone who has the best website versus others in a group, I think that does create challenges. And I think you can still get all the benefits uh, despite having some homogeneity across that if you do it tactfully.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a really complicated issue, I think, when you're in a group. Certainly we've had our own struggles here in Utah, because they're you know, the University of Utah is part of the state. And like I think that's true for many people who work in academics. Like that that website is governed by a completely different set of rules than your personal website. Certainly, I'm sure the same is true for you, Dr. Cole, that like your your group has certain things they want to get on the website that you maybe you personally have different things you want to get. There's there's competing interests. One of the questions I have about that in particular is you know, where where is this going in the future? You know, this is, this, certainly websites are here to stay. I mean, I don't think there are people coming out who are not going to have a website um, unless they're in very specific practice situations. You know, where do you see your practice evolving in the next five years? What are the things you're thinking about adding? Where where What are the ways in which you think we'll use this in the future to better take care of our patients? What do you think, Dr. O'Day? Um, you know,
2: one thing I would say that I'm thinking of even adding at this point just from a usability standpoint, is is uh, QR codes. Um, you know, many of us use our phones and smartphones, and it's actually very easy. I found this out very recently to to link even specific um, parts of your site via QR codes, um, so people have kind of ready access to whether it's educational content or your therapy protocols or even just your website in general, or, or often even to link to your um, a, a site where they can put a patient review. Uh, for a happy patient. Um, so so that's where I, I think much of the evolution is going to be is, is we spend so much time on our phones, uh, looking up information um, succinctly. We, we we use QR codes now to go to restaurants um, and to get a menu. And, and so I, I think streamlining it in that direction will end up being pretty helpful for patients in the office and also um, if, if they need any therapists who need to kind of access you or or even just anybody who's kind of interested in learning more about your website
0: what about you dr Coleman? i mean it sounds like you've spent so much time optimizing it it's maybe hard to figure out what to do next but your personal yeah, family we're, we're
3: doing um, you know in the office we have pl- i have placards in my office that are unique to things that we do that have qr codes so we're doing that more now um, one of the things that we're now uh, leveraging is the content uh, in terms of, well, A, some of it is, I think is really pretty high quality content and video and so forth. So we're using some of that for repurposing for social media. Uh, that would be marketing and then education. And then um, the other area is pushing things to our patients, which is, to me, that's pro- that's been a, one, one of our unique focuses. We're using uh, an outcomes platform called uh, Patient IQ, which has a, a strong patient engagement component. So Serendipitously, while they do a great job with outcomes assessment and collection and compliance in terms of follow up, uh, they have a, a really uh, unique uh, patient engagement portion. Which, when a, when a patient calls, I can push. So let's just use uh, let's just use uh, rotator cuff as an example. So I know when a patient calls, they often will say, you know, I was that when they make their appointment, we can figure out that they have a rotator cuff tear. I can push out their uh, pre op uh, outcomes forms. Uh, for the, for a general condition in shoulder, I can push them there, uh, a video uh, about how to prepare for their visit and a video on, uh, the theory about rotator cuff tears and their management, non-operative and operative. And then when, and most of them love that, I mean, that's, so that's been really good. Then they, let's just say they have, they need physical therapy. We can push a link to our physical therapy sites to them when they leave. They can select it and not necessarily get on scheduling yet. They can't schedule their own appointments for therapy. They could schedule for us, but we don't have electronic scheduling for therapy on their own, which we don't want yet. But they can at least link to a location that's near them. Then let's say they fail therapy and they get surgery. They need a sling. They need an ice machine with compression. Uh, They might get a nutrition program. They might get a shirt that opens with buttons with our brand logo on it. You know, it's basically commerce, quite frankly. And uh, we use that postoperatively, and we can now push things to them that go directly to our website, where they can they can you know, efficiently get what they need. Things can be drop shipped and so forth. So, yeah, I'm looking for any possible way to streamline the practice to reduce the number of phone calls, reduce the number of emails, and improve patient satisfaction. And and um, it works for everyone. That's it's kind of a it really is a win win situation for everyone that's engaged in the in the whole pathway for patient care.
1: All right, guys, as we get to the end of this podcast, I want to ask both of you, when you think about all the tools in which you educate patients, educate peers, educate colleagues, what's most important for your practice? Is it your website? Is it your social media? Uh, You know, the easy answer is to say both. But what do you think if you're advising new or young surgeons to really focus their energy, their, their funding, their, their time on one thing and one thing only to build their practice, other than, of course, being a good surgeon, doing good work, et cetera. Um, for, with these specific tools that we have that all of us can utilize, what's what's number one in your practice? Dr. O'Day, what do you think?
2: Um, you know, I think it's important to have variability in, in how you're providing information, Um you know uh, people learn different ways whether if it's when you're having a conversation with them so you know they're listening to you speak about what's going on but also having the opportunity to provide them something in writing that they can digest later or or video content where they can kind of watch something you know everybody absorbs information a different way and and so uh, for me i think the the key thing is is having that uh, flexibility to provide somebody information in a way that you know they feel prepared uh, for um, their recovery, they feel prepared for what kind of the next steps in the plan will be, um, and, and I do think the website offers in many ways the op- option to do that because you we we've we've been there. You have a conversation with a patient in the office, um, and and you're telling them, hey, I think you would benefit from a surgery. This is what's going on. And, and they have, you know, they're a little bit stunned or caught off guard. They have a bit of a deer in the headlights. Um, and and you, it's an uncomfortable feeling to kind of leave them that way at the end of the visit. So I think the website, you know, I give patients each a piece, a piece of paper um, with just kind of the plan and writing for them. But I also always circle my website um, after we've had a conversation and say, you know, I, I want you to go on here and, and go to this video, go to this information, go to this information about how to prepare for surgery. Um, so so you have a little bit of time to digest this on your own, and then we can kind of come back and and kind of close the loop here. And, and so having the website in particular, I think that ends up being the best way to navigate patient care because you, you feel like the patient, you and the patient are on the same page because you're giving them the options to digest vetted information um, on their own pace. Um, and, and you know that they're getting it from a reputable source because it's something that you have reviewed and vetted before. Um, and, and so there's a little bit more um, there's a little bit more comfort in knowing that you're you're providing information the right way to them in a way that works for them.
1: Dr. Cole, how about you? What's your number one way to educate patients and help develop you know your practice?
3: So the, I think the first thing Rachel is that you have to have um, it's it's about it, it isn't actually the website or the social media it's what happens in the office and um you know every patient experience that's positive begets uh dozens more patients and no matter how long you're in practice what what is true is that most will say that I you operate on so and so they were really happy with their care and I came to you for that reason but they may have validated you based on your online reputation or your website But it it really is all, it's really still grassroots every single day in the clinic. And I think everyone on this uh, um, podcast would probably agree with that. I think, honestly, even though I spent some time with social media, it's cute, uh, but I still have yet to figure out if that is truly additive for at least my patient group. And I think if it's not done tactfully, it could actually maybe even work against you a bit. Um, So I would say that it starts, uh, it's a blend of the website providing like uh, Gabriella said, backup content, backup information that can sort of create, uh, close the loop with information gaps uh, because people are just customers looking at their phones, doing, transacting on the phone, uh, making appointments and so forth. So you got to provide a good user experience. But really, the best thing is not electronic at all. It's grassroots. It's what you do every single day when you sit down with a patient, talk to them, and uh, they feel like they're really cared for. I know. It you know it, it, it sounds a little bit philosophical, but I don't think anyone in this web, uh this webinar would or this uh, podcast would disagree with that.
0: I think that's probably a great place to end. That you can have the most beautiful website in the world, but if you're not doing a good job taking care of patients, it's not going to matter. The most important thing is to take good care of people, and then your website is a supplement to that. A web, your website's a way that you a way that you better display that for people or better communicate it to people. Is that I think is would you agree with that, Is that what yeah, you're absolutely?
3: Saying? That's a Those are some good final remarks here. Yeah,
2: Absolutely,
0: yeah. totally agree. Well, I want to thank both of you for coming on. I mean, both of you have been innovators in this area. I mean, I've learned a ton just from what you just shared. Or, I'm I'm going to go put some QR codes on my PT scripts. I think that sounds awesome. I love that idea. Um, and um, I love the idea, Doctor Cole, of like, just doing the pre-visit. So the patient comes in and they're like, because so often we have this encounter with patients where you they're in they're in the room, they get the diagnosis, you discuss the treatment. It's so compact. It's so like, I think people, they leave and they're like, what just happened? Like, I have so many questions that I didn't, I couldn't even think of because it was happening, you know, because I, it, was, it was it was, hard to do it all at once. So I, your idea of decompressing the visit into a pre-visit and the post, like, that's awesome. It's such a great idea. So thank you both for coming on. I and mean, these are it's just awesome little pearls for all of our listeners out there about how to optimize your practice, how to take the best care you can of the patients that come to see you and, you know, m- maybe improve your ability to communicate with them. So thank you both. This was great. And um, we really appreciate your time.
2: Thanks for having
1: us. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll echo everything Pete said. This was a very, very uh, wonderful podcast for ASCS. I think our listeners will find this very valuable. One take-home point for all of our listeners. If you ha- don't have a website, now's the time to get one. And uh, you've just heard why for the last 45 minutes. That really is all the time we have for today's podcast. Again, we want to thank our guests for taking time out of their day to speak with us. For all of our shoulder and elbow listeners out there, please don't forget to subscribe. And for Pete Chalmers, I'm Rachel Frank, and we'll see you next time.